The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 201 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance to explore how to measure rejuvenation and restoration. You will learn the significance of these practices, the impact of modern software and technology, all things heart rate variability, why a stressful week at work needs just as much restorative practice as a big training week, and so much more. Hello, Katie, and welcome back to the show. Hello, Steph. Excited to be here. Yes, a very important topic today. You know, one more specifically for the athletes, but I think something that um, there'll be, you know, takeaways from for everyone. Definitely a a big topic in the training world. Um, I thought we would dive in to just talk about I guess the other side of the actual training, whether it be the the running or the swim bike running or whatever that looks like, you know, we, we need to consider what are the restorative or regenerative practices. So we might start with just a bit of an outline as to how you would define that first. Yeah, certainly. I think there's a lot of comparisonitis around training load or exercise load or even game load in a team environment Uh, and almost like bragging like think about say something like a Strava is all about putting points on the board for how hard you worked but there's less consideration and chatter about restorative practices to actually recover from that activity and like we've discussed many times on the show particularly our last episode together whereby those restorative practices help prevent injury, inflammation, particularly overuse, uh, but also just result in happier humans that are less stressed uh, and can achieve their goals more effortlessly because 
as I know you've spoken about many times on the show and so have I in all my content that stress hormone cortisol is so detrimental uh, to achieving body compositional results, uh, detrimental to stress and brain function, uh, as well as recovering from exercise. And if we don't utilize regenerative, (laughs) how funny, um, restorative practices, then uh, we're not going to get adaptation and adaptation is whereby our body actually absorbs the training load and we get the results. So let's say someone didn't implement some restorative practices into their daily or weekly routine, their, their training could be become null and void uh, because they're not actually recovering, therefore they're not adapting, therefore they're not getting stronger, fitter, powerful. That's at the core of why this topic is so important and I feel like in modern daily stressful life, if our listeners are not athletes, this will still be super relevant just to give respect to the amount that we all have on our plates Um, and a stressful week from work needs just as much um, restorative practice as does a big training week, for example. So what do I mean by restorative practice? Anything that enables recovery, and that might be physical recovery, but it could also be mental recovery uh, and just refreshing the mind. And as a coach, I do this naturally. This has always been part of my coaching principles and I, I wouldn't do it any other way. However, I have found that that's not the norm. Not every coach and not commonly with athletes are they putting the importance on uh, restorative practice or recovery. I feel like team sports probably do it better. Mm. You know, if you've got a team of uh, footballers, netballers, etc., to go um, do ice, bar, ice baths or soak their legs in the ocean in five degrees they're going to be more inclined if there's 30 or 50 of them doing it together um, in a team environment. So in these singular sports that endurance attracts, I think it's probably harder. Like it's not the norm as part of the routine, I guess. Yeah, it's an interesting point because you're right. We see that in a lot of the team sports. You know, I often go for a walk down the beach and I see the brave usually boys, but that might be where the footballers hang out, um, you know, waist deep on a Sunday morning or whatever it might be. Um, but they are generally in numbers. Um, I think though, you're right. There is that real lack of it being built into a training plan. So, you know, there may or may not be a discussion, but the onus is often left with the athlete and we all know what falls off the list first when we get busy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to see a world where uh, training recovery or restoration is measured and marked and compared much like training is. And we talk a lot about how many hours did you rack up, how much, um, how hard was your session, what was the intensity, how many calories did you burn. It's all about effort, 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 effort. There's not really like... I would find it hard to believe if someone in a social setting around a training environment got kudos for saying, I went to five yoga classes this week. Mm. It's just not what we brag about. Um, so it's just an interesting part of the culture, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if it's a lot to do with the current sort of software and technology. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to measure fitness. As you mentioned, there's obviously Strava. People do it on Training Peaks. I'm sure there's more options, um, you know, in 2018. But what about measuring like the other side from a recovery or even a fatigue point of view? Can we measure that equally? I have no doubt that that will be part of our future um, mm. with actual real data and science behind it, much like training metrics have science behind it. Uh, in the meantime, we can come up with our own framework in terms of putting runs on the board for uh, putting recovery practices into place. Uh, I have worked on a little bit of a rejuvenation protocol uh, in terms of giving certain action steps points and giving athletes a goal for how many points to rack up per day or per week or say on a weekend when their training's heavier uh, to put some incentives in place for those recovery protocols. Uh, so let's say an athlete uh, did legs up the wall uh, post-training for 10 minutes with belly breathing that might give them 20 points. A yin yoga class might be 30 points. A massage might be 40. Uh, and then, so we, we start to put these metrics in place. Now, those uh, points that we attribute to them are obviously just my opinion of how I've seen certain activities impact uh, athletes over the years and in terms of what's most valuable and how many we need per day. But I would love to absolutely see uh, research and science around how do we measure this in the future and I don't think that that's far away um there's a software called RestWise. that's rest r-e-s-t and that does help us formulate recovery which is pretty amazing uh the key technology that helps us utilize the metric in um, RestWise is heart rate variability and that requires like a Bluetooth uh, heart rate strap or some applications on devices just utilise um, your finger over the, the camera lens, which is super interesting. And heart rate variability can give us like a, a recovery score. So that's how we can start to measure was something effective in helping us restore from a certain session. So let's say I came back from a super hard speed-based interval run and my heart rate variability was sitting higher than my baseline indicating acute stress and then I went and did 10 minutes of legs up the wall and belly breathing and that heart rate variability score came down like it, and it can happen that quickly then we know that that practice was effective if it stays the same I'll be like right you need a magnesium bath tonight as well to enhance that recovery now that's obviously the darn nerds way of doing things and quite specific you can be more intuitive with it and just taking note of okay well how sore am I today how fatigued am I today how how well have I recovered from yesterday's session um, what does my urine look like i.e how hydrated am I and how has that played into my recovery so there's kind of a spectrum of ways to to look at this and I would start with tracking your recovery-based exercises the same way you track training. Uh, everyone's very digital. Everyone's always on their phones. Uh, it's just 
building it into a habit that's already there really even if you do a handwritten diary just start to track um that you did 10 minutes of foam rolling or when you have massages or that you did a magnesium bath and start to look at the patterns and while also tracking muscle soreness, general recovery and fatigue and willingness to train and motivation and all those things that play into effective recovery. Yeah, um, I love that. You kind of, go on. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say I love that. It's not dissimilar to like how we give our clients other things to, to track, like you know energy and sleep and digestion, not just that main goal, which might be body comp in, in one example. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's important to track the things that have meaning to you as an individual uh, and don't try and track things just for the sake of it. Track things you're actually going to pay attention to. We've got enough data in this world coming at us that divides our attention. So pick, you know, three metrics that are important to you and relevant to you and start tracking them either in a software like Training Peaks or in your handwritten training diary and then start to track, well, how often am I actually putting recovery in place? And for those that say are uh, doing nothing, so they just train hard, get on with their day, um, go to work, rush around and literally do nothing for in terms of recovery and maybe get a massage once a year. If you're starting from that point of view, I'd be giving an athlete like that points for simply doing a proper cool down mm. before they rush off to their day. Um, I'd be giving that athlete points for like two minutes worth of mobility work. Whereas an athlete that's already doing mobility, regular massage, magnesium baths, the points are going to look quite different. Uh, so that's where I would definitely um, individualize things. And for the coaches listening, uh, make sure you do do the same for your athletes on that different spectrum so that the athletes that are quite diligent with recovery exercises are still going to be motivated by you putting a challenge in place that is beyond what they're already doing. Um, and those that aren't already putting a lot of recovery protocols in place don't get disheartened by the enormous task. Like we've, we've, got to, we've got to scale that. Yeah, absolutely. Just got to start. And I think you've given us some really good places to start, like definitely track it like you do your whatever, whatever it might be, your gym session, your run, your soccer games, your training, um, and, and definitely, yeah, look at what you're covering off in a week and, and where you can start to, I guess, continue to improve things as well because when you're starting to pay more attention and maybe obviously noticing some of the really positive flow-on effects of that increased commitment, there's the buy-in as well because you're not going to regret legs up the wall or actually breathing properly to bring that heart rate down before you, you know, jump into the kitchen and, and try to digest your recovery meal. I know. And that is, it, I think it gets overlooked because of the simplicity sometimes. Mm, the whole uh, breathing conversation. People look at you like you're a bit cray-cray. <laughs> yeah. But when people understand that there's a huge amount of science behind that breathing and the effectiveness of that breathing can change everything, uh, then it's a game changer once that buy-in occurs. Um, and I think... So, you know, for for those that do use a lot of data in their training, I think it's really valuable to start to look at a points system. So uh, 
let's use training stress scores because a, a lot of endurance athletes are familiar with it. It's a term that mostly training peaks uses. So if you go for an hour run uh, and it's aerobic, it might be uh, 60 points worth of training stress. To make sure you back up from that, let's aim for replacing 60 points worth of restoration. And as an example, um, I give legs up the wall 15 points, um, making sure you get your post-training meal in that's suitable to your workout 30 points, um, a gratitude practice because of the positive vibes and impact that has on general um, mental state and therefore recovery is five points. Um, you could go for an easy 15-minute walk and you've got 25 points and boom, like that 60-minute run, you, you're, you're already like you're neutral, your bank balance is back in the black. And uh, it, it doesn't have to be overly complicated and it doesn't have to be overly expensive because wouldn't it be nice to have a massage every day? Uh, but I don't think athletes have time nor the money unless they are professionals. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And there's no expectation that it needs to be even, you know, costly from a time point of view. I think they're some of the myths that people, you know, the the stories they tell themselves, like I've heard you say it before, you know, if you're short on time and your temptation is to cut out the cool down, you've actually got to cut out one of the intervals or, you know, one of the actual components from the training program because that's nowhere near as important as how you wrap things up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, that's a really important point to make. Short on time, reduce the main set, not cut off the cool down mm. um, or just stop fluffing about and get to training on time. <laughs> yeah, get off Instagram. No, I'm glad you mentioned um, the training stress score, TSS, because I think that is something that, you know, is like quite measurable. I think um, what do you, what's your experience in terms of being utilised properly from a coach's and athlete's point of view? Uh, particularly within the, the software? Yeah, or using that TSS like to actually maybe make modifications to the program or to add in a more restorative practice if if the score's looking a little bit high. Oh goodness, this would be my ideal amazing world. God mm. the world would be a better place if all coaches did this. Yeah. Uh just for some context, so uh training sessions create training stress, that training stress accumulates. And as the training stress accumulates, uh, what happens is what's called your training stress balance starts to decrease. So if we just kept training without recovering or adapting, the training stress keeps accumulating, 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 and then the training stress balance keeps going down and down and down and down, which indicates a, a large amount of fatigue. And eventually that athlete is going to fall into a fatigue hole, get injured, burnt out and be very, very unhappy. Uh, so we don't design training in that way. It does need to come in ebbs and flows. So the idea behind um, a restorative practice is we could essentially enable an athlete to do more training or bump up the intensity if they were doing more um, restorative practices. Yeah, that's the goal. Um, so it does enable your coach or yourself who is managing your training to actually load you up more if you're recovering better and putting more in, in place. And if um, 
in an ideal world, what a coach would be looking out for is that training stress balance number decreasing significantly into the negative and going, okay, I need to put a rest day in. I need to make sure the athlete is uh, getting a massage or doing a magnesium bath or maybe jumping in an infrared sauna and encouraging them and being account, making the athlete accountable, I think is key. Uh, that's normally why athletes get a coach. It's someone to be accountable for, to their training for. And I think the same has to be for recovery. And so, yeah, it would be fantastic if red flags went off for coaches seeing that high amount of fatigue and they say, right, you need to up the ante. Let's say they normally would rack up uh, 100 points of, of recovery or rejuvenation in a week. I'm just using like, numbers out of the sky. Then if that fatigue is much higher and, and the, t- the training stress balance is at the negative, then that might need to be 200 on the bigger training weeks or the bigger fatigue weeks. Uh, and it should ebb and flow based on where an athlete is at or they've got a higher emotional stress, for example, which is obviously very hard to measure with data but it absolutely has a physical impact yeah so true and that's very like i guess it's quite relative and um perceptive i wonder can does um i don't know that this exists but does um training peaks connect with like a hrv to factor in some of the more emotional stress or or what the body's telling us from that elevated heart rate Yeah, so the Training Peaks does sync with multiple heart rate variability technologies. Um, They're getting much better. The the best one out there would be heart rate variability for training, HRV for training, and there's a coach's version as well. And so the coach's version helps sync to create alerts for when a coach needs to be paying a little bit more attention to a certain athlete based on what their metrics are saying. Cool. Um, I love that. And that's his training peaks, which is cool. And so does that rest wise technology. I mean, in terms of measuring emotional, that would really be up to the athlete to ensure that they're actually putting that information uh, readily available for their coach. So whether it's in training peaks or on the heart rate variability technology, noting that their emotional stress is high uh, and therefore the coach being able to reflect and say, you know, we all have stressful days, but if someone's having a string of four to five emotionally stressful days, that is absolutely going to impact training and there needs to be an adjustment in my opinion. Uh, And that's where I feel the world of individualized coaching needs to be. If a coach isn't doing that, I don't feel they're doing their job. Mm. So fascinating. (laughs) yeah but it'll be interesting to see where the technology does go as well because i i feel like in general athletes are definitely becoming more open to these sorts of elements of training um you know not even a few years ago it was all just harder faster more training more training Mm. whereas there's a lot more conversation about that that whole balanced approach holistic approach which you're obviously big on and it's going to be fascinating to see where that evolves so you've mentioned the logging side of it whether it's you know more manual or in the training peaks there's definitely some amazing um technology in terms of hrv tracking or the apps that you can check out on your smartphone. Um, I just wanted to run through 
some other examples of what activities we should be doing. I think legs up the wall and yoga have been mentioned, but let's talk about what else might be considered restorative and really important for us to plan into our busy weeks. This is definitely my opinion and I'm sure it'll be a shared opinion. And I think it's important for people to interpret, well, what makes them feel uh, provides a stress relief and Mm. what fills their emotional tank? For some people, it's going to be uh, a a dinner with friends and a glass of red and a nice meal and like a social outing. For other people, it's going to be time on their own, reading a book, candles lit and uh, off to bed at an early hour. So, yeah, I think you can choose and identify those things that work for you. Some people love the ocean. Some people love rainforests and nature and the beach. And some people just love their own home and don't want to go outside. So consider all those things when you make up your own rejuvenation um, plan. But some of my ideas would definitely include ice baths. Um, or cold water immersion. Um, there's a secondary benefit to both of those that it can help encourage working on breathing techniques, which helps performance and, and recovery as well. Then what I think most athletes would already be doing but maybe not recognising is they're probably already doing recovery sessions, if we're talking about endurance athletes, that involve walking, swimming, spinning on the bike or a super easy run that's still recovery through movement and exercise and the key there is that the intensity is low and they might go in feeling heavy and fatigued but come out refreshed that's how you know it's a successful recovery session others would be the yin yoga or recovery yoga and intertwine into that would definitely be meditation and mindfulness or a standalone meditation mindfulness session. You can do your own TLC session, so tender loving care, and that might be sitting at home on a, on a mat or your carpet, watching your favourite TV show or music in the ears and doing a bunch of stretching or watching a YouTube like yoga video. You know, Do what works for you in terms of time and accessibility and, and the financial side as well. Then there's the nutrition and hydration elements that are just as important and making sure that your hydration includes some form of electrolyte and uh, that's where we like to recommend, say, lemon and salt as a nice natural one. That is included as a recovery protocol. And then the nutrition side I mentioned earlier is making sure you get that nutrient timing right post-meal. Steph, you can dive more into that if you want, or we can link to another episode. Uh, Other ideas on my list are magnesium bars, which people are probably familiar with Epsom salts, similar thing. Uh, Infrared saunas are fantastic. And then there's the massage, myotherapy, chiropractic, Uh, and physio treatments as well. They're just some ideas that people would start with or the compression boots have become very popular of late. So many amazing options. I love that. I'm a big fan of yoga, obviously, but I love an infrared sauna. So one day I'll have one in my spare room at home. That's on my wish list. (laughs) Me too. It's online as well. I feel Mm. like I need to rally with my local friends and say, right, let's just get one and come over and and chill out. (laughs) Um, The one I didn't mention actually was sleep because... Mm. 
sleep is king uh, for recovery and, and rejuvenation. And if we're not setting ourselves up with that positive sleep environment by getting off uh, blue lights or screens before bed, that's absolutely going to inhibit um, recovery. So getting nine hours sleep or time in bed would get massive bonus points and if you're not a great sleeper and you don't get anywhere near nine hours, then when the goal would be, okay, well, how do I enhance the quality of the hours I am getting? Um, and that's what you would track. Um, so the, the quality of the sleep over the quantity. Yep. Amazing. An absolute 101. So I would love to hear any successful transformations that you've been a part of. I'm thinking that you've definitely had some resistant athletes along the way who've, you know, rolled their eyes at the M word, the meditation word, Um, or maybe has been that, you know, absolutely ticking all the boxes from a training point of view, but not looking at anything to balance out the equation. What have you got to share in terms of a, yeah, transformational story? Yeah, I mean, I've worked with athletes on both ends of the scale in terms of those that are, like, heavily invested in doing whatever I tell them to do. (laughs) Like, if I tell them to get a massage and infrared sauna every week, they will do it. And then I've got the other end of the scale uh, that are quite resistant to it, like the idea of it in practicality sense, it never happens. Um, and there's success stories on both sides. So if I look at, you know, case one, the one, uh, an athlete that's super diligent with recovery, um, to give a picture of um, that athlete that I've got in mind, they book a massage irrespective of time of the year once a month. In the build-up to an Ironman, they will increase that. Um, and they're pre-booked, you know, for tape a week, etc. all planned and organised, of course. Infrared sauna once a week, magnesium bath on a weekend after long runs, legs up the wall and belly breathing after every session, uh, yin yoga class once a week, and obviously uh, we track this in their program. It's all part of it. Athletes love to see ticks and highlights and, and green boxes in training peaks. So as if a coach does a hint if you want the athletes to do the recovery, uh, put a like 10 minute legs up the wall thing as a training item and it'll happen um, mm. because they want to see it green. <laughs> um, what else do they do? They'll often, this is key actually, this athlete will always text me if they have pulled up unusually sore or they'll rate it as a metric on training peaks and I'll, I'll get a notification. So they'll be like, carbs are super sore after X, Y, Z. Should I change training? Should I adjust anything? And that's where that collaboration with your coach is king. Um, and then my job is to go in, look at training stress and where they're at and that soreness rating and see if I need to adjust any of their, their training. And that doesn't mean like, you know, completely wiping off the sessions. It might just be changing some heel repeats from um, a 10-degree incline to a 3-degree incline if they've got calf soreness. You know, it, there's... It's not like you're going to completely miss out on your training, Uh, which I think is a fear with athletes is often when they don't admit that they're tired, fatigued, sore, they're worried their coach is going to like tell them not to train for a whole week, Um, which in some cases is needed. That's usually more on the mental side. Um, But more often than not, it's just an adjustment that's required. Um, Your whole training plan isn't going to get ripped from under you if you admit that you're, you're struggling a little bit. So don't be afraid to be honest. 
Um, this athlete also is very good with their nutrient timing uh, post-workout and will plan their meals and prep their meals, etc. Basically the ideal athlete. Their experience, <laughs> <laughs> their experience going into Ironman was one of a little bit of shock. And this was um, the person I'm thinking of it was their fifth Ironman, so fairly experienced, I would say. Um, but this time around, doing it holistic endurance approach and a little bit differently, they were like, I just feel a little bit too good. Am I, am I meant to feel this good? And they weren't destroyed. They, when I, sp- I think I spoke about this on our previous episode. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, just don't have to feel that shit. Mm. <laughs> Training for an Ironman, I think it's really important for people to recognize. You, yes, there's some soreness because you're developing muscle strength and power. There's a little bit of fatigue, but it should ebb and flow. You shouldn't always feel... Uh, exhausted really i think there's a difference between being fatigued and exhausted and that's important to identify so that's definitely one of the side effects of investing in in recovery that particular example the other i can name and shame (laughs) (laughs) uh, because they are my husband and michael this was someone who started at the other end of the spectrum so not heavily invested in recovery, uh, very invested in pushing themselves, being very consistent uh, at training and doing everything right in regards to training but not much else. So the refueling involved, uh, you know, I can't even, it was so bad. The nutrition was terrible. <laughs> Poor guy. This is um, what we call it, BK before Katie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was a lot of processed sugars, uh, definitely not complete meals, lots of eating on the go, rushing, uh, no massages whatsoever, definitely no baths or anything like that. It was just work, train, sleep. And sleep hours were pretty minimal too, because they were working that he was working his butt off. Um, and then I came into the picture (laughs) Um, but really what happened was Mick X was training for his first half Ironman and had nailed everything and was doing very well and improved out of sight, was on track for his first half Ironman to be at least, you know, four hours, 45, so sub five, um, quite a talented athlete. But he got sick two weeks out from that And that was the pivot point because he just never wanted to experience that again because he didn't get to express his potential on the day for something that he'd been working his ass off for eight months um, and putting a lot on hold to achieve that goal. And, yeah, so getting sick uh, didn't help and he couldn't get a proper taper and he didn't feel great on the day, ended up doing about five hours 20 um since then has obviously risen from that but it took a long time so it was probably a year after that first half Ironman he spent having to rebuild um he never quite came back from that fatigue and illness 100% it took a long time and he had to change the food he was putting in his body he had to get massages regularly he does magnesium baths and they, Mick is um, a very different athlete now to who, who he was, you know, eight years ago. And he's someone who now 
books in massages every fortnight, two months. He is more diligent with his mobility than I am and I am more than willing to shame myself for that. He will get in the garage uh, every day and before every session to complete his mobility because he understands and unfortunately has lived through the implications of not putting um, restorative practices in place, um, whether it be getting injured or getting sick or getting burnt out. And I would love athletes to not have to go through that before they're motivated to go and do these um, rejuvenation protocols. So he's by far the best success story. I mean, it helps when you've got me in the house whipping you over the ass to, you know, run a magnesium bath or whatever. But they, those habits are now all on him. I don't have to say anything. Uh, he does it off his own bat and he's, he's very good with it. And one of our old coaches um, had a really big impact on him as well, Craig Percival. Uh, he would just, if Mick would get to the point of super fatigue because he did, was one of those athletes that didn't want to quite mention that he was struggling and so it would almost happen too late. And so Craig would be like, right, two days off until you feel human again. Uh, and that was the rule. And those two days had to be full of mobility, walking, chilling out, having fun, uh, and just having no pressure to train. So every coach is going to uh, um, tackle this differently, but the key is definitely preventing it and seeing the orange flags before there's red flags. Yeah, so cool. An absolute 180. He's even posting on Instagram about his, you know, foam rolling and <laughs> his leg soaks and it's so good to see. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding because he's oh. really just come such a long way. So I hope it inspires others that are a little bit resistant um, or haven't yet found that nice balance between the training and the recovery to have a good look at, you know, what areas you can start to address next. Yeah, that's it. And like to bring his story full circle, he's now a 4.30 half Ironman and he's on his way to doing his first Ultraman and there would be no way Ultraman is in the picture unless he was good at these um, rejuvenation protocols just automatically without me having, as his coach, having to say, oi, do this. <laughs> he just does it automatically and I think that's important. You have to take it off your own bat. You can't wait for someone to tell you, hey, put food in your mouth hey, jump in a bath, you've, you've got to take ownership. 100%. So awesome oh. to hear. It's been such a fascinating topic and, you know, one I hope has inspired our listeners to take a look at things from a different angle. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or if not, could you direct us to where we can find out more about you online? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to follow up for the data nerds that are really interested in the numbers and the nitty gritty of mm -hmm. this, um, I'm presenting this co a concept of a rejuvenation protocol at a conference in September. After that, I'm happy to um, provide the information um, publicly. So get in touch. Uh, Instagram is at holistic endurance, all one word, or you can email performance at holisticendurance.com.au if you're curious or you can book in, have a chat, do a wellness consult or even read Healing the Grumpy Athlete. If you're a female athlete, that will be very relevant. Awesome. So all the links will be in the show notes as always. Katie, you're a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for coming back on the show today. Thank you, Steph. Thanks for having me again. 
Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.